Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Passionate about standing up for all Canadians. Canadians. The Roy Green Show continues. Thank you for joining us on the Roy Green Show on this Saturday long weekend. Uh, We've spoken with reporters who have covered the narco war and are still covering it in Mexico, and they've told some horrifying stories. And uh, now there's warning, as we've been talking about, the federal government has warned Canadian police that uh, violent gangs, not just MS-13, but violent gangs are trying to sneak across the U.S.-Canada border, and this is to get away from Donald Trump's immigration policy, which is ever-changing, and uh, MS-13 has been mentioned by name, but other ones apparently are as well, and the Prime Minister of Canada is doing very, very little. I was uh, reading a a review of um, a new book called Gangster Warlords, and this is written by Nick Meroff, the Latin American correspondent for the Washington Post, Reading gangster warlords is like riding shotgun through the darkest battlefields of the drug war with a hard-boiled narcotics detective at the wheel. You won't want to get out of the car. With terrific storytelling and analytical sweep, Grillo's guided tour lays bare the interconnected nature of 21st century crime and drug trafficking in the Americas. His warlords are the region's new insurgents, offering no ideology beyond power and riches. The ripples of their violence reach further than... We tend to acknowledge, and they aren't going away anytime soon. Yoan Grillo, another report says, and we'll talk to him in just a few seconds. I'll just read this to you. His newest offering, Gangster Warlords, Drug Dollars, Killing Fields, and the New Politics of Latin America, takes a look at the crime wars that are slowly swallowing up countries across the Latin American and Caribbean landscape. We read about the killings, mass murders, and drug-infested ghettos every day, but Yoan Grillo is out in front in the favelas of Brazil, the barrios of El Salvador, to the shantytowns of Jamaica. He is front line and center reporting on what he calls the new battlefields of America since 2001. Gangster Warlords pinpoints a criminal insurgency that has spiraled into chaos and needs to be confronted now. Gangster Warlords. And Yoan Grillo has uh, reported as well for Time magazine and other major media. Yoan, thank you for the time, and my apologies for mispronouncing your first name all day. No problem at all. Um, it's a funny name. It's hard to pronounce. Uh, tell us, please, uh, who are the gangster warlords? What is this this new class of of gangster? And I'm thinking of some of the individuals who almost have a Robin Hood uh, uh, a descriptor about them while they're committing massive and violent criminal activity. Who are they? Where do they come from? Well, I've been based in Mexico now for, for 17 years uh, and, and was covering uh, the drug violence here. Uh, and after a certain point, it became very clear this was no cops and robbers type situation. You know, this wasn't something just on the police pages of newspapers. This was a major upheaval, a major political situation. This is the main issue facing uh, Mexico. 
I also realized it was not only Mexico, that very similar situations were happening um, down in Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Brazil, Venezuela, and so many countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. So I traveled around interviewing many of the people themselves, the gang members themselves, as well as the police officers, the victims, and all kinds of people in these societies. And I would say that these gangster warlords, they're a weird hybrid. It's something in the 21st century. They are gangsters and criminals, but they're also political players. They're also major businessmen in illicit areas. Um, they also sometimes, like you say, provide Robin Hood-like social work in their communities. Um, and overall, they cause or, or part of this very, very destabilized situation in the region that has left many people to, to flee like refugees to the United States, to Canada and to other countries. So when we talk about them, we're talking about the likes of El Chapo and Pablo Escobar, who to locals uh, were almost, well, they were heroes because they created opportunities for them. They, uh, they built them hospitals. They built them soccer fields. They made them feel like they were important and they were finally having somebody who, who had their backs. Meanwhile, uh, they're making billions of dollars and it doesn't matter to them one way or another how many people die in the process. Death is just a tool in the, uh, of the trade, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, anti-heroes, sometimes you, you, you yeah. think of that word. I mean, I mean, it's a very mixed thing because in these communities, you have people who look up to them. You have people who say, I mean, I was recently in the mountains, you know, the mountains uh, in the village of El Chaco, and I actually interviewed his mother um, and his cousin and various people um, in, his, in his community. And there's people there who, yes, say these guys are heroes, they build roads, they care for the sick. But also, you know, I talked to the mother... Um, or whose son was dragged away and murdered in this area, whose body was buried, and she finally discovered it after three years. Um, you know, you talk to people who have, uh, you know, one poor girl who was in Honduras who was paralyzed, a 14-year-old girl who was paralyzed with a stray bullet, with gangsters fighting. So you have this, this terror, um, but also sometimes money, sometimes fame in these communities. So would Canada be a, an attractive target for these individuals, particularly at a time when our border isn't really defended or the border laws and rules about entering the country don't seem to be enforced with any kind of enthusiasm? Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, actually many of these groups have been in Canada for a long time. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, Canada is, it, it, it is part of this because, you know, if you look at, uh, at drugs coming from Mexican cartels, you know, there was a, a long-established drug trafficking route um, of drugs going to Chicago and then going from Chicago up to Canadian cities. Um, uh, if you look at the groups from Jamaica, another another big uh, crime uh, family, these potters from Jamaica, they've long had connections to Canada. So, so you know, Canada's been part of this situation for a long time. Now, with the situation of the gangs now coming, the MS-13 and, and other gangs, I think that there certainly is a genuine concern. Um, there should be a genuine concern about the growth of these gangs um, in these areas. Um, however, I would add that one thing is that there are, there are only a minority of the, of the migrants going into countries, a very small minority. And really to help fight the gangs, I think the police need to work well with people in these communities, including sometimes undocumented people in these communities. It's when these people are in the shadows that the gangs can grow, they can shake down people, they can kidnap people and take advantage of that situation. Okay, let me take a quick break. We'll come back with Yoan Grillo and speak more 
uh, with him about, and specifically about MS-13, because that is the gang that Canadian intelligence agencies have been warning municipal police forces about that they may be crossing the border into Canada. Um, another one of uh, Mr. Grillo's books is El Narco, and that is Inside Mexico's Criminal Insurgency. I, I have that book at home, and I was I just uh, emailed to Yohan uh, earlier that it's number one on my list to, to read of the books I, ha- I have at home now. Um, we'll come back with Yohan Grillo and speak more and get into the the realities of MS-13. Stay with us. Looking for the truth and not worried about rattling some cages to get at it. This is the Roy Green Show. The uh, book is titled Gangster Warlords, Drug Dollars, Killing Fields, and the New Politics of Latin America. Think about that. Yoan Grillo is the author. He joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Yoan, as far as MS-13 is concerned, I read that uh, when they first arrived on the scene in Los Angeles, they were um, more like, they were trying to be like rockers, but they were on the outside looking in as far as the gangs were concerned, and they were victimized by the gangs that were there until things started to until they started to change things. What's the story there? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, the very first uh, members who, who came from El Salvador uh, during the Civil War in El Salvador back in the 1980s, and they were young kids, uh, often fleeing the Civil War because the army would recruit child soldiers and the guerrillas would recruit child soldiers. So it was very difficult to be a teenager in El Salvador back in the 1980s. So they would pose refugees to Los Angeles and, and find themselves often bullied by Mexican American gangsters by African-American gangsters. And they actually formed their own gang, and they used to go to Black Sabbath concerts and have this devil's sign, which became like, a, like an M eventually. They kind of flipped it around to become like an M, a Mara Salvatrucha. And then um, as they were bullied, they fought back, and, and people would come who were hardened, who'd been in the war, who'd been fighting with the guerrillas or with the military, and used to like using machetes. And they used to cut, you know, cut people up, hack people up, um, and I was talking to one uh, a probation officer at the time, working with gang members, and when all these killings started happening, they didn't really know who they were. They suddenly saw these killings appearing in Hispanic communities. They didn't know who this, this gang was, but it gradually got much tougher and got a very tough reputation. They, uh, they have a reputation. They've been on, on Long Island, New York particularly, and that's where the, uh, the focus was. Uh, I think when... President Trump was talking about them, although they, they, he was he was looking also at a national perspective. But in Long, on Long Island, New York, they have a history of extreme violence and uh, murdered two teenage girls' best friends. They were apparently looking for someone else they were going to murder, but they came across these two teenage girls. One of them had, a, had at some time perhaps insulted an MS-13 member. Someone made a phone call to the local boss to ask what they should do. And the answer came back. This is again. I'm just reading what I what I heard. Uh, the answer came back. Kill them. And these two girls were just viciously murdered. And they have a history of that in Suffolk County on Long Island. Is that is that their normal modus operandus? Tragically, it is. Uh, after 1992, when the Civil War finished in El Salvador, the United States deported many of them back there, and then over the 90s to try and get rid of this problem. 
Um, but back in, in, in a war-torn country of El Salvador, they grew uh, and became extremely violent, and they could get away with extreme violence. Then they spread to Honduras, to Guatemala. And because they could get away killing so easily, uh, they used to they, they make members murder to, to join the gang, sometimes murder several people. Uh, and I interviewed various members down there who have killed sometimes over 30 people, sometimes even more, 50, 60. Uh, and it's quite incredible uh, level of death. So then they started creeping back into the United States, but as a much tougher, more violent gang than they were back in the 1980s. And for them to commit murder really is is nothing. Um, it is it is really very ordinary, very daily what they do. Fifty, sixty murders, one individual, and it's nothing. I, I mean, it, it is. I've gone talk with these people about you know when you first commit murder. Uh, often they first commit murder down in Central America when they're thirteen, fourteen years old. Uh, they you you have schools down there where there's. MS-13 members in the school, in the classes, and the teachers are terrified because the, the gang members can kill them if they give them a bad grade. Um, I mean, it really is, it really is that bad. There's no exaggeration. Um, Any time in El Salvador, in Honduras, in Guatemala, where there's, where there's gangs, you, you see this reality uh, where there's, uh, I mean, many, many tragic tales. Um, girls in neighborhoods where a gang member wants to go out with a girl. He refuses his advances, and they, they kill the family. Uh, and these are stories you can hear time and time again in these areas. Your book is titled Gangster Warlords, Drug Dollars, Killing Fields, and the New Politics of Latin America. And clearly these gangs, and not just MS-13, but the others that, you've, uh, that you write about, uh, they do, in fact, threaten governments. The Mexican government hasn't been able to deal with the cartels. I've uh, had one reporter say to me, you don't know who's winning some of the times, whether, and, and you don't know who's on whose side some of the time. But is this a, are these gangs a legitimate threat to in-place governments in stable countries or a legitimate threat to in-place governments in unstable countries? So... Yeah, there's, 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 you're very right to point out a difference. Um, I think when they when they in places like uh, El Salvador, you have weak governments, or in Honduras, and some of these neighbourhoods, you see the resources the police have are quite few. So the, these gangs can really control these areas. They have the guns, they have the manpower, uh, and you go to these places, and the, the gangs are effectively governing these areas. I mean, they, they 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 have rules sometimes in the community about what people can do and what they can't do. Uh, and they really do control and, and they make businesses pay them money. Now, it's very, very different when they, in somewhere like the United States or Canada, where you have much stronger state, where you have much more powerful police. And so, for example, when I mentioned that the level of murder they commit in Central America, they do not, don't commit the same level of murder in the United States because they're going to get caught much more quickly. Um, however, their growth is still, I think, a genuine concern. Uh, you know, I talked to one uh, guy who'd been a, a leader of a, of a cell of the MS-13. They're called cliques or cliquas. He'd been the head of a, a clique of MS-13 in Maryland, and he was describing how they worked there, how they recruited young people in the school system, how they had hundreds of people in his particular clique following them. And they didn't only recruit uh, from Central American or Latino 
uh, background. I mean, there's you know also many different Latino backgrounds they recruit from, but even recruit in the Chinese community and recruit recruit MS-13 people in the Chinese community and shake down people in, in the Chinatown. So this kind of issue of extortion of organized crime in areas is something I think the government and the community should care about. All right, and we're not talking about groups that were in in uh, intact in the past tense. These are, or the past tense, these are groups and gangs that are in place now and are growing. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, these, these, are, these are continuing to grow now, and you know, the, the MS-13 is definitely very, very big and, and continues to evolve and move around. Now, in terms of, I mean, one thing that is, that is very apparent and a different from down here in Mexico, I mean, I'm in Mexico City right now, I mean, here the gangsters are not scared to fight the police, to fight the military. Uh, the military will come and they'll attack them with, start firing 50 cal bullets at them, you know, attack with, with RPG-7s. They've knocked down helicopters with RPG-7s. And they don't do that in the United States and Canada right now. I mean, they're much more cautious about fighting with the police and so forth. And one thing as well for drug cartels, and the MS-13 do work with drug cartels, as well, sometimes selling on their, their drugs and moving kilos of cocaine and so forth. The thing about drug cartels is they value the United States and Canada because they're giving so much money in terms of buying their products. I mean, both countries are spending billions of dollars buying heroin, cocaine, um, crystal meth, and these various drugs that are coming from Latin America. They don't want to mess up that market where they're selling drugs and making so much money. Yeah. I have to say, I, I just <laughs> I sat straight up when you talked about fighting the police with RPGs and and shooting helicopters out of the sky. This isn't this isn't just a, this isn't a gang fight. This is a war. Yeah, that, that, I mean, you know, it certainly is. And I, mean, I use this, this this word of kind of crime war, this mix of crime and war, because you know that particular incident, uh, you know, they, they killed eight soldiers and a federal police officer when they shot down a helicopter. There was one. Uh, battle, which, which I, I documented, uh, one battle where there was 500 gang members fighting wow. 2,000 federal police officers. Ion, uh, there was that. Ion, thank yeah. you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us from Mexico. Thank you so much. All the best to have you. A great, have a great day. All the best. Thank, thank you. Much. Gangster Warlords is the book by Yoan Grillo. What a story. And this is going on now. This isn't just, as we said, past tense. And there is concern. It's been expressed by national intelligence agencies in this country, passed on to municipal police forces about MS-13 entering Canada disguised as migrants. We'll come back with the beauties. Don't go away.